So Ron asked me to introduce the story by um, providing one personal story about how I'm honored to be a mom. Like one? <laughs> one? So I had to think about it because um, I love being a mom, and I didn't think I would be a mom. It never occurred to me that I would be a mom. Um, I had a pretty troubled uh, growing up, and it just never occurred to me that I would have children. In fact, it's funny, I would often, even when they were teenagers, I'd be like on my way home, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I have kids. <laughs> like, it would suddenly shock me that I'm a mom. But, <clears throat> so I had to go through all the thousands of pictures to figure out one that might be that one story that really illustrates well what it means to be honored to be a mom. Because honor is a really interesting word. And then before I get into the story about that picture, which is the one story I have to say that I love being a mom of all my kids. And whenever um, I have thought about the one, whatever one it is out of all of them, um, how honored I am to be their mom, uh, I love... I love being a mom to Megan, and I love being a mom to Aaron, I love being a mom to Sam, and I love being a mom to Sophia, and I love being a mom to Sam, and I love being a mom to Kim, and I love being a mom to Justin, and I love being a nanny. I love being a nanny to that gorgeous little blonde there. And if you hadn't heard, I'm going to love being a nanny again in November when Megan and Justin have their first. Okay, so that story, because I only have a certain amount of time. So, um, honor's a funny thing. Um, I'm not honored to be a mom. I'm honored that the Lord chose me to be the to be the mom of these children, of the children that He puts in my life. That's an honor. It's an honor uh, to. It's, Really, it's about sacrifice and what it means to give. I'll hear. Proverbs 31. Of course, right? Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. Go away. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. To me, that speaks volumes about what it really means to be a mom. It means that you completely, sacrificially, and willingly give up your heart to walk around outside of your body for the rest of your life. Because being a mom means that you cry and you laugh and you hurt and your heart is broken. And then it's swelled all up again when they do really cool stuff like graduate from college in three years. Or do that. I think being a blue star mom was the hardest thing I've ever done as a mom. Um, I'd say that probably Aaron is the one I cried more tears over than any of the others. He's my sweet hero. Always has been my hero. And I'll never forget the first time I realized that he was my hero. He, we made him um, join baseball. <laughs> 
He was 10, and we made him join Little League because it was a good thing for him to learn how to play baseball. And at their first practice game, my son took a fastball right in the face. And he was very stunned and hurt and swollen in black and blue and terrified. And after much deliberating between um, the powers that be in, in baseball, they decided to let Aaron wear a face mask and continue. So he got to wear, um, he was too afraid, he was 10, to um, get up to the bat again. And so they let him wear a, a protection over his helmet. And he went back to playing baseball. And um, for every game that they played for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, almost to the end, he struck out almost every time because he wouldn't stay in the batter's box when the ball was pitched. And finally, one game towards the end, um, he stayed in the batter's box the whole game through. And he, um, the first time he actually stayed in the batter's box, the whole time, his entire team erupted in absolute praise and joy and excitement for their teammate who had taken such a hard hit to the face that he was afraid. And he was doing everything he could to conquer that fear. And when he finally did and stayed in the box, his teammate was absolutely thrilled for him. And he was the hero of the day. Um, and he's, he, that kind of courage is the kind of courage that you want your kids to have. You want them to have the kind of courage of self-sacrifice that they put their fear aside and they stand up for something so that they can conquer it and move forward. He hates baseball to this day. Um, <laughs> he will never play. He likes. But what's really interesting is he started to play football. Um, it's one of my favorite pictures of him also, his senior picture and football picture. Um, and then, um, and he was a really, 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 really effective defensive lineman. Um, and super good looking, too. I was, so cute. But this, this means everything to me. This is what it means as a mom to fully sacrifice yourself for your child because he was willing to sacrifice his life for you and for us and for our whole nation to I, stand up and raise his hand and say, I give up some of my freedoms so that I can protect yours. And then to be whisked away and to see pictures of him being screamed at and beaten up and thin. I've never seen my son so thin. But then to look at this picture at his graduation when he graduated from boot camp um, and tanker training school as well. Um, to feel that intense pride, that overwhelming sense that my son, who has always been my hero, is now might be somebody else's hero, too. That's sacrifice. Um, and being a Blue Star mom, spending a whole year completely unable to see, touch, and yes, smell my son was really hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through to be separated from my son for that long. But this is what it means to be honored as a mom, to know that your children are honorable people. 
They're good people. They love the Lord with all their hearts, and all my children do. And one last thing before I stop. So there's a beautiful look on my son's face. It's one of the things I love the most. I'll give you a hint. Who do you think is holding the camera? Kim, his his fiance, um, soon, I think, within days of, of coming home. Is, anyway, we took her with us to Georgia, and she was standing behind the camera. We hadn't yet seen him. This is our first time seeing him in eight, nine weeks, 13 weeks, something like 13 weeks, 13 weeks, uh, because he did combat training, and then he did tanker training, and we hadn't seen him. And... Um, I'm in tears and just holding on to my son because I just, there's just nothing else this mom could do but hold on to her son. And he's staring right at his future wife, (laughs) which I also love. So um, I'm honored to be their mom that God trusted me, me, what this hot mess, right, to be their mom. And I'm grateful and I love you guys. So happy Mother's Day. We are going to be talking about honor um, this morning, and um, obviously it's Mother's Day, and so we're honoring moms, um, and the, the definition of honor is the worth ascribed to a person or the value ascribed to a thing. So when we think of honoring someone... Um, we think of lifting something up um, and uh, assigning it maybe more worth than would normally be assumed. But um, so as the children were thinking about, now we heard um, children talking about making coffee and doing chores. What are other ways that your children honor you as a mom? (laughs) <laughs> what was that? Obey. Obey. Oh, yes. So actually, what I'd like you to do in your bulletin, there's an insert. And make sure I get this the right direction. Okay, so we are now? Oh, good. Okay, so if you get out your bulletin and take out an insert in it. Now, I don't know. It, we used to have a, a sermon outline with blanks on it, and I had a terrible habit. My habit was I would take out the insert and see if I could guess what went in the blanks before the start of the sermon. <laughs> see how many I got right. <laughs> Somebody's became a heart already. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give you a chance to um, fill in um, on there before we start. And you've got plenty of room to fill in on there. Letters that th- you think of going with or associating with honoring mom or God, beginning with the letters that spell out honor. So something... Um, starting with an H, something you've got two opportunities for O, um, one N and one R, and uh, 
We'll see if you come up with the same ones that I came up with as we go through the, the message today. Um, we typically think of Mother's Day, and um, it was interesting. There are tons of pictures of Queen Elizabeth on the, on the Internet, but I did finally find one with her smiling. <laughs> as, as if she, she is being honored and something good is happening. So um, Mother's Day has typically in my mind has been about treating mom like a queen um, and uh, serving her in any way uh, we can. Matter of fact, um, how many moms had uh, breakfast in bed this morning? There's one, two. All right. Um, good deal. I didn't. I cooked breakfast this morning, but it wasn't served to Shirley in bed. She gets up before I do now. Um, so the first letter that goes with honor is the word H. And I struggled with this because the most common word to go with H would be honor itself. Um, but the word that struck me was the word high. The concept of lifting something up, high or highest or high. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, to kind of establish the context for what we're going to talk about this morning. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's interesting to me that honor and submission are related. This whole section of scripture begins with Ephesians 5.21, which says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As I got thinking about this, it was like, interesting. If I honor someone, place them above me, then that's the concept, basically, of submission. But submission without honor breeds rebellion. And over the last... 13, 14 weeks of going through the story, what have we seen? And especially as we looked at David and we looked at his family, we saw submission to the king, the father David, and what did it breed? Because it was without honor, it led to rebellion. And it led to horrible things in the kingdom of Israel. And yet at the same time, Honor without submission isn't possible. It just doesn't work. Because you can't place somebody above without the concept that you've placed yourself lower. It, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. And so this concept of honoring father and mother, and if you remember where it comes in the Ten Commandments, there's the first four commandments, which are about relationship with God. You shall know what the gods before me. Um, you, should, you shouldn't make any idols. All of those things about relationship with God. And then the last five are about relationship with the community. 
do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery. What's in between? What do the Ten Commandments pivot on? They pivot on honor your father and mother. That relationship within the family is the connection between our relationship with God and our relationship with the community around us. Where do kids learn honor and respect? Hopefully they learn it at home in the family. So honor intentionally sees the other and treats the other as they are in a higher position as us. And this is really hard for us towards other people because we're all imperfect. I know that's a real surprise. Um, we all have issues. We all have personality. We like to call them quirks. Um, and I don't know, for those of you who have been married a long time, one of the things that you discover the longer you're married is some of those things that you wished when you got married they would change. They don't change. They just become more irritating. <laughs> Which is why we have to intentionally work at honoring one another. And it is hard. It's also hard for us towards God because we're all filled with pride. We want to be the one in charge. We want to be the one in control. We want to be the one who decides what to do. And when we honor God and submit to Him, we have to do things His way, not our way. And that's a real challenge. So this morning I want to look at um, our example of honoring. I want to look at Jesus and three stories that Jesus interacting with his mom. And we're going to start in Luke 2, verses 39 through 52. And the word that goes with the letter O is the word obey. <laughs> Janice got that one right. Um, so starting in verse... Um, uh, 39 of Luke 2. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? 
Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. We know from this story that Jesus' parents were faithful Jews. I'm sure there were a lot of Jewish parents who did not make the effort to make the journey to Jerusalem every year for Passover. And this is a three-day trip. I mean, it's a long walk for them to get from where they live to Jerusalem. Not only that, but they're giving up income while they're doing this, and they're not wealthy people. Now, it seems pretty clear they traveled with a group, so that had to be kind of fun. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't know if I've ever experienced that, actually going on a long journey with just a bunch of people walking together. That would be kind of an interesting thing, and everybody camping out at night and sharing meals together and... Um, Something that's probably a little hard for us to understand, but they went through this experience and they got to Jerusalem and they celebrated the Passover and then they get ready to go home. Now, remember, Jesus has been doing this every year for as long as he can remember, probably. So there's a routine associated with this and everybody kind of knows how this works and they kind of gather together and they start on the road home. And we might actually think of this as a little bit negligent on the part of Mary and Joseph, but in my mind, it's actually a tremendous expression of trust. They trusted their kids. They trusted their community. Everybody knew what the routine was. They were headed home. There was no need to check on him. There were a bunch of... I can imagine walking out of Jerusalem, just a bunch of people headed that direction, and the assumption was he was there. Now, we don't assume that today. I don't know if you caught this news story, but they've actually passed a law in the state of Utah that makes it legal for you to allow your children to play outside unsupervised. Because up to that point, a parent could be sued if something happened to their child outside unsupervised because it was considered negligent behavior. And Utah said... No, we've got to change this. It's got to be okay for kids to play. <laughs> but it's crazy that we live in a world where we have to pass that kind of law and that we have that kind of expectation. I had the opposite experience when I want, went to um, Africa with our son. And we're driving across the bush, and it was amazing. They were setting a fashion trend because they were wearing blue rather than red. There would be this Maasai who would be standing out watching the flocks and it would be a Maasai boy and he would be 11 or 12 years old and he would be totally on his own. You could see the blue just against the, the hills and the sky and he would be totally alone watching the cows and defending them from the lions and other beasts. And how did he learn to do that? He started watching goats when he was three or four near the village until he got to the point that he could take the cows out to where the pasture was. 
We wouldn't dream of letting our 12-year-old walk miles away and be on their own. But different times, different place, and Jesus' parents obviously trusted him. And after a day, when they had the evening meal and they expected him to come join them, he wasn't there. Where was he? Well, they did figure one thing right. They figured that he must be in Jerusalem, and so they headed back to find him. Now, this was always puzzled me a little bit. Why did it take them three days? Jerusalem's a big place. There must have been some interesting hangouts for 12-year-old boys in Jerusalem that they went and checked out first. They must have checked all of those out first. And the last place, and this probably we would consider normal, the last place you would expect to find a 12-year-old boy is in church. Um, and yet that's the equivalent of where he was. He went to the temple. And he was honoring somebody. He was obeying his father and honoring him by spending time in his father's house. Now, he had tremendous respect for his mom. And I find the, in, the end of this story interesting. There's this little dialogue that goes on between mom and Jesus. And this is a little bit of speculation but Luther, the historian who wrote this particular book, had to have some primary sources. My guess is that the primary source for this particular story was Mary. So I'm guessing that this is her perspective on what happened that day. And um, as, they, um, as they, find it, they find him... He gets a little bit of a reprimand. Why have you treated us this way? We expected you, we trusted you to be with the rest of the group and you weren't there. And we were worried about you. And his response is, I thought you knew, knew me better than that. <laughs> I had to be with dad. Not trying to put Joseph down, but I had to be with my father. I had an opportunity to spend some time in my father's house. That's where I needed to be. And yet as the story ends, I think it's absolutely amazing. Verse 51, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Who is Jesus? He's the king of the universe. He's the Lord of lords. Even at age 12. He's the one who's in charge. And what does he do? He honors mom and dad by going home and obeying them. And sometimes it had to be hard because I'm convinced that he had great wisdom at age 12. And I'm sure mom and dad didn't always make requests that were rational, logical, and maybe not even wise. But we're told that he obeyed them. Um, we think of his ministry as a struggle, but those years between 12 and 30 had to be incredibly challenging. Um, 
And he had to be anxious to get out, and yet he honored and he obeyed. So honor leads to obedience, an intentional decision to do what the honored one asks us to do. Now, for those of you who are super linear, I'm going to frustrate you now. Um, Because I wanted to go chronologically, and so we're going to jump over N for a minute. We're going to go to the second O in John 2, 1 through 12. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, and I had never heard this before, but it was one of the things that I discovered as I was preparing this week. This is the story of Jesus at the, and his mother at the wedding in Cana. It is possible that the wedding was actually John's wedding. There's something in tradition that suggests that, it, that this was the Apostle John's wedding, so he would have a really personal take on what's going on here. Whether it was or not, it's a really interesting story, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Thus the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory And his disciples put their faith in him. The second O I recorded as observe. When somebody wants to honor someone, they're observant. They're paying attention to what's going on. Um, We've been married almost 44 years and I still struggle to see things through Shirley's eyes. We're two very different people. But if on those rare occasions, when I can see through her eyes and actually do something before she asks me to do it, that's very honoring. Because it says that I'm working at observing. Well, this is an interesting situation in this story because Mary observes something and Jesus apparently observes it as well. So they both see that there's a problem. There's not enough wine. One of the things we have to remember is Jesus came from 
a very poor family. And the impact of not being able to provide for everybody would have really hit them. Because they may have had many, many experiences where they were embarrassed by their poverty. Not being able to give what they would like to give. Not being able to provide what they would like to provide. So here's a wedding celebration. When I grew up, the first weddings I can remember, and this may fit with many of your traditions, a church wedding meant there was the ceremony, and there was a reception, and there was cake, and there were nuts and mints. That was it. Right? Some of you remember that. That was, it, And then it kind of grew, and maybe there were some sandwiches or whatever. Now if you have a wedding, and you have a reception where you don't have a full-blown meal after the ceremony, it's like, that would just surprise everybody. That, why you would, wouldn't you do that? Jewish weddings at this time went on for a week. And the bride and groom didn't go anywhere. They stayed right there for the entire week. The community got together and they shared meals together and music and dancing. They partied for a week. So running out of wine somewhere during the week is not a terribly unusual thing to expect to happen. So they see this situation. Mary observes it. Jesus observes it. Now what are they going to do? Well, Mary wants, now we get a little different scene of Mary because Mary knows what Jesus can do. I don't know what experiences she's had, but she has total confidence that he can fix this problem. He has no money. He isn't going to go buy wine. But somehow he's going to be able to fix this problem, and she is totally confident of that. Jesus sees the issue. And I honestly don't know which he cared more about. I don't know whether he cared more about the bridegroom and the bride or whether he cared more for his mom and the fact that his mom cared. Regardless, he honored his mom by observing what she observed and by fixing the problem. At home, when we see things that need to be done and do them before being asked, that shows honor to the people in our family. In our relationship with God, when we see the needs of people and respond as Jesus responded, we're observing what God observes and we're honoring him in dealing with those situations. So our final story from John 19 25 through 27. And the word I associated with the N N was the word need. And we've kind of danced around that as we've been talking this morning, but In John 19, starting in verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus has been beaten. He's had nails driven through his feet and his hands. He's hanging on a cross. He's in intense pain. And yet in the midst of that situation, he looks down and who's there? His mom's there. And we don't understand exactly why, but it's clear that Jesus still felt that responsibility to care for her and to meet her need. But he was going away. He wasn't going to be there anymore to help her, to meet her needs. And, and this is maybe a little bit surprising, he had four brothers. But those four brothers did not believe in him at this point. And he wasn't going to leave his mom with men who did not understand who he was. And so he sees John, and John the disciple whom he loved, and he said, here's how this is going to work. John, here's your mom. Mom, here's your son. This is the person who's going to take care of you. We don't see John's response, but I assume based on what we see in the rest of the New Testament, that John took on that responsibility and took Mary into his home and cared for her. Honor identifies needs and seeks to meet those needs. And when we honor God, when we see the needs he sees, and give to meet those needs. So the final letter is R, and I came up with lots of things for R. Um, Respect, revere, responsibility, um, and Vera during communion talked about remember um, this morning. All of those things are significant, and I want to focus in on remember. um, And... I don't know if this verse is the best one I could have chosen, but it just struck me. Hebrews 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What I want us to remember this morning is that Jesus gave to us, ascribed to us, incredible worth when he came to earth to live and die for us. And as we relate to other people, whether it be mom or husband or wife or child, I hope 
that we will remember the example of Jesus and that we will ascribe great worth to others and be willing to honor them. And that as we live out our lives, that we will honor God every day by honoring others. Because that's what I believe God desires for us to do. And so just like, and maybe this doesn't seem odd, Mother's Day, I don't know if it was created to sell cards or if uh, selling cards came after we decided to honor moms. But um, we've made this special day to honor moms. And yet, what's the greatest honor actually for mom? It's what gets done tomorrow. Today we go to lunch or we um, share cards or presents and we do all sorts of special stuff. But honor is a 24, 7, 365 days a year thing. And as it should be that way with moms, it should also be that way with God. We don't honor God just in what we do today. We honor God as much or more every day. Exactly. As we obey Him, as we act like Him, we honor Him every day of our lives. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father, thank You um, that You honored us by sending Your Son to come and die for us. Thank You for the lessons that we learned from Jesus. And thank You for the opportunity to be here this morning to celebrate moms, to honor them, And Father, I pray that we would honor them and you every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Sigrid has something that she wants to do, which I think is a wonderful example of honoring. So Sigrid's going to come up and Mandy's going to, and the boys are going to take the stage and um, we'll be ready to stand and sing when Sigrid's finished. Well, I think most of you remember last week uh, we were asked to put up all the chairs because we were going to have the carpets cleaned. And so we all got together and we, you know, got the chairs put away and stuff. And then Don Roberts, who's not here today, uh, he sent out an email that uh, we needed people to um, put the chairs back. And so Charles and I decided we would be two of those people to come and help, even though I was not looking forward to it. I knew, how the, I knew how the chairs were stacked, and I like it like it, on the theater, they have marks where you're supposed to put everything. You know, that would have been easier. But I thought, oh, okay, well, I can handle this. And so anyway, we showed up, Larry showed up, and Don showed up, and all the chairs were already in place. And so we have no idea who did it, but I can't tell you how that made us feel to be able to come in here and see that all the chairs were already put in place. And I just want to thank whoever that was. It's kind of like the shoemaker and the elves. <laughs> but um, it, was, it was, I don't know, it just made my heart feel good. So thank you, whoever did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
Yes, thank you. So let's be standing and sing or close the song. If you have any uh, need for prayers or encouragement, um, you can come forward at this time.